You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. This week's topic, the myth of pre- and post-flop play, or the full story of the hand. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? Well, since we're uh, we're doing two uh, sessions in uh, one week, I'm still doing the same as I was for the first time, but I'm doing great. It's awesome, and I'm going to call you out on it. Now you're going to have to admit that you we recorded. No, no, no. Two I sessions. actually prepared new material. I prepared new material. I have something new. Like I'm not a one trick pony. I have more to share. So this is incredible. I'm going to. This is amazing. I was at Maryland Live mm-hmm. a few days ago, and I was playing two five. At my table, there was a gentleman who told another guy where he worked. He worked at the same company as me. So we chatted. I gave him my business card, and I said, hey, I'm hosting a home game. He lives less than a mile from me. It's amazing how close this guy lives. And I had to drive to the casino to meet a neighbor, basically. Mm. How crazy is that? It, it's pretty crazy. Um, I I can't really relate, though, because I live in the middle of a forest. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but yeah, that is pretty amazing. All right. So this week we want to talk about this myth that pervades Texas Hold'em. It's the myth of pre and post flop play. Do you want to talk more about the problem or shall I? I, I I'd like to talk about it. And, and I want to, when uh, BJ says the myth of uh, pre flop and post flop play, he means the idea that they're separate, you know, that we deal with this all the time. People talk about one or the other as though they don't exist together. And the reality is, is that they do. They exist together. Problems when we start thinking about things, well, as as pre-flop being separate than post-flop, we get to post-flop play and we start forgetting that our actions pre-flop determine a lot of the story we're going to tell on the flop, on the turn, on the river. There's this failure with lower stakes players to carry their range throughout the hand. So what happens is they become easy to read. They, the, the story doesn't make sense. They find themselves getting called and thinking, well, the person should have never called me. But the problem is your story didn't make sense. You know, you're trying to rep a hand that based on your pre-flop play, it doesn't work. So that's what we want to talk about a little bit this week. I find it interesting that you mentioned how people fail to carry their range through the story of the hand. I think that's exactly correct. However, I am not convinced that the vast majority of poker players even know what their range is. I will see a lot of people who still limp every single hand or almost every single hand because they think their cards are pretty. If they have any two cards that are the same suit, they play it. If they have any two cards that are connected, they play it. If they have any two face cards, oh, sure as heck they're playing that. It doesn't matter what the action was ahead of them, what the action may be behind them, or even what their position is. They might not know the difference between being on the button or being under the gun. They're coming in for a limp anyway. So for those people, their story is stunted from the get-go because they don't even have a range to carry through the hand. All they have is two pretty cards. Yeah, yeah, so... I mean, literally, the core foundation of No Limit Hold'em is an ability to have a well-constructed range. 
and it, and it goes it's not just a matter of i'm going to play these hands because it's it's queens plus ace king it's a matter of i'm going to play these hands because they give me board coverage here the staff depth is such that i can make profit with this hand i can add in hands here so that i can have a pulled three bet range or even a pulled opening range if i want to have if I'm playing against high quality, high thinking players, I might want to have a merged range so I can add in these hands here and they'll give me better board coverage. There's so much more that goes into it than just I'm playing these two cards because they're suited or they're pretty. You know, if you start there, that literally that foundation pre-flop, then your whole world gets easier post-flop. I agree. So I was interested in digging a bit deeper into this topic of what makes a good story. Because I was thinking, what what is the problem we're trying to solve? The problem we're trying to solve is getting people to no longer divorce their pre- and post-flop play because it's one cohesive story. But then I'm thinking, how do we get people to think about the hand as a story? So I found five elements that make a good story. So there's plot, there's setting, characters, point of view. And one of them is theme, which is the central message, which is like the moral of the story. And I think you nailed it. When you mention, don't just play these cards because they're pretty. What are you trying to accomplish? What is your incentive for playing this hand? Like, what is the moral of your story? Board coverage, value, bluff catching. You know, I got showdown value. I mean, there, there's many different themes you could apply. But the fact that some people just play their cards because they're pretty and they don't really appreciate the fact that they ought to be playing their cards for a good reason is different. And it might be new to some people. So... In terms of plot, the fact that each one of these streets of value could essentially be its own chapter in a story where you gain more information. This is basically from, oh, who is that guy who wrote the archetypical hero? Uh, it had to do with Star Wars. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do not. Don't make me edit this out. It's <laughs> at the tip of my tongue. I'll probably end it. I'll probably figure this out when we're done recording. He came up with this model of the archetypical hero and the hero's journey. The hero goes out, finds new information, has some sort of big conflict, and then comes back stronger to defeat and vanquish enemies, things like that. And you could actually think of your entire poker career like this. I mean, the fact that you might have a losing session. We talked in a previous episode. That's just like the tuition of learning information. As long as you grow from it and you can transform, you could be the poker hero because everyone's a hero in their own story. So so why don't we try this? Okay. okay. So you, you started out with plot, right? Yeah. You start out with plot, right? Because you're telling a story, right? And you're the hero in your own story, right? So when you open pre-flop, you start by telling the story of, I have a good hand. This goes back, we can go all the way back to episode one because if you limp, you're telling the story of, well, I want to see a flop, but I don't really like this hand enough to raise it. It's not a strong hand. It's a weak hand. And we don't want to tell that story. The story we want to tell is I have a strong hand. I have a good hand. And if it's not the nuts now, at the very least, it can flop well, and we're going to play it. We want to play it. We've raised it. If you three-bet somebody, you're telling them, hey, I have a stronger hand. Than you. I believe my hand is stronger. My range is stronger. And uh, you're going to have to pay more to see that flop. And you go to that flop in that, with that plot in mind. You know, I ha already have a strong hand. Now, there's going to be boards that are going to come out that are going to take in favor that strong range. And you can continue to tell that story. Not only do I have a strong hand, but 
that board just made my hand even stronger. What are you going to do about it? And unfortunately, there are times when that, that flop is going to come out and the board's going to not favor our range. And that, that's the time when we need to say, you know, my hand was good, but I realize it's not as good anymore. And, you know, you're, I'm not going to let you extract any more value. And that's that part of carrying that range through. You know, now, if we have good board coverage, we can prevent people from dominating us on that. It goes back to that good instruction. We can keep people from dominating us on board textures that are not necessarily favoring the top of our range. But we're going to carry that range through. That's how we tell that story. You know, you can represent aces until aces aren't a good hand. But the question is, is did you have enough in your range to represent anything else? And if you don't, then don't pretend you can represent anything else. But if you've got enough hands and enough combos in your range to represent other things, and the player you're in against has to understand that, then you can start representing stuff going down. You can represent those big hands and apply pressure with your uncapped ring. So that's where the story starts, you know. So that flop came out. Well, you know, that flop came out, you know, king, queen, deuce. And guess what? You know, I I have king, queen in my, my range. And I'm going to represent that I have two pair. But I can also get to the river. And if, if a straight comes out, I can also represent that because that would have been in my range too. But what I can't represent is a set of twos. Right, right. Given the action that you did pre-flop, you will never come to this with a set of twos. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that makes up a good story is characters. And I think we often don't consider the characters that we're up against. Who are you playing against? Are they comfortable with their chips? Are they comfortable with the way they handle their cards? Do they portray themselves as a type of person that knows what they're doing? Are they distracted? Are they looking at the sports channel all the time? Are they chatting on their phone or chatting with a buddy? You know, there's a lot of information that we can glean from from the characters. Do they even seem to be in good mood? I mean, sometimes you might see someone just got tilted and they might play differently based on that. And I'm not sure how we want to factor characters into the story. So do you have any ideas there? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do. But I mean, I think the, the number one character we have to focus on is the hero. We have to look at that. What is the image that hero has? Are they perfectly shiny or do they have some tarnish to their to their armor? I think, I, I think that you and I make very good examples of this. We three bet wider than the average person. You know what I mean? So people are going to call us wider, too, because they get a little tired of being three-bet by us. And being that, is the character angry? What's what, what? Do they have anything that leads them to want to fight back against the bully in a place where they feel like they can? Are they going to take and get out of line? Are they going to get crazy? There's so much that goes into that, you know. But as you're telling that story, the thing that matters when you're telling that story is how believable are you? The other characters matter, but you're the character that's going to matter the most. How believable are you? If you're not very believable, it, either way, it works out, by the way. Like, if you're really believable, you can rep a lot of things, a lot of hands, and you can push a lot of people off their hands. You can bluff a lot of people. If you're not believable, it works, because then you just have to switch to a value-based story, you know? I have aces, and when they call you, you have aces. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That's a good way to use character information at the table. Uh, the last element of a good story is point of view or perspective. And this could be first person or second person or third person. Or In terms of poker, 
we need to be thinking about what our opponent's perspective is. What are they doing this with? What are they? What did they do pre-flop? What did they do on the flop, on the turn, on the river? How much do they bet? How much do their actions inform their ranges? And are they the type of person who would understand position and range on range construction and the story of a hand? I mean, you've seen it. You've seen people who are so sticky with aces. It's all aces are is top pair or an over pair. It's a one pair hand, but sometimes they can't get away from it. Regardless of what the board texture runs out, they're going to stay with that and just bet and bet and bet. And unless you can suss that information out based on their point of view, you might fold your two pair thinking that you're crushed. So I think that it's, it's interesting the way you put that, because I think that every story being told at the poker table has to start in first person. Then it goes to second person. Why am I doing this? What can I represent? What's the story I'm trying to tell? Is it believable? What does my opponent think? From their perspective, is it believable? What do they think I'm trying to tell? Do they think I really have that? And it's got to go back to first person, you know? So I think that it's very interesting. It's an interesting way to go at this topic. I'm glad you uh, came up with those points. And, you know, yeah, we're trying to tell a story. But in the end, the one thing I want to reiterate is that any story you tell is based on bringing your whole range through the hand. And when I say you bring your whole range through the hand, uh, you're going to end up folding out portions of your range. But when you fold, that you're, you're done with the hand. You know what I mean? So when I say you're bringing your whole range through the hand, obviously, except for those parts you fold out. But you're not going to the flop and saying, okay, I have aces and that's all I've got. You're playing your range at that point. And if that's how you start that story to begin with, a well-constructed range, that's how we want to start every story. And that is why pre-flop and post-flop are connected. They're not separate. Right, right. So we talked about the problem is divorcing pre and post flop and we don't want that to happen it's one continuous story and we gave our listeners a model to follow of the five elements of a good story plot setting characters point of view theme but what tools can we give people to help them think more in line of a story so i think that you could start out by obviously i keep mentioning range construction well how do you go about determining good range construction there's a lot of good books on it Believe it or not, Andrew Brokus's Play Optimal Poker can give you a lot of information that can help you build a good range. But there's other books else there too, and uh, that's just the one I'm going to recommend. But the best way you can help build a range, learn how to build a good, solid range, is to get some training with people who are better at it than you. You can take and go through any every book we've ever read on poker just about has range charts. The problem with that is, is there's no why that range, you know, and those range charts are always based on the notion that you're a low level player and you can't ever get beyond being a low level player playing somebody else's range charts. You have to be able to know how to build it yourself. So there are lots of good sites out there. Again, I'm not going to mention any because they don't pay me to, <laughs> but there's a lot of good ones. I know you and I have been members of a few different ones, and all of them were good. Find one that, you know, the coaches are going to go out of their way to explain and break down why you build certain portions of your range a certain way. What do you got for tools? So I have a couple ideas on that. I really want to piggyback off your notion of the theme, 
about the story of the hand. That was one of the five elements. And we talk about themes being the reason why you're constructing your range this way. I know this is going to sound nitpicky and it's going to sound arduous because it is. But as you construct your range, ask yourself why you're including such and such a holding in that range. All right, I'm under the gun. Everyone knows you want to play tighter ranges in earlier position and wider in later position. All right, do you want to open tens under the gun? Maybe you do. Do you want to open nines under the gun? Maybe you do. It sounds like a slippery slope, but if you interrogate the reason why you're including your hands in these ranges, you'll have a better understanding of what your theme is for the story of the hand. I know I'm going to play such and such a hand because it gives me good board coverage and I'm in position and I have a lot of maneuverability against a lot of flops that may come. Sure, I might fold out, that's fine, but I already have those decisions pre-made and that's gonna help me with more cognitively demanding situations on those tricky turn or tricky river spots when I need to think long and hard about an option. The other thing that I would recommend, because I did this about two years ago, you can use a deck of cards or you could use Flopzilla and give yourself a range and then give yourself random flops and then figure out what you're gonna do on each of those flops. This will help connect your pre-flop construction to your post-flop range and see how that weaves a thread a consistent story, you're probably going to have some hands that you fold because you completely whiffed and you have no equity to continue with the hand. You may find that you have some hands that you would just do a c-bet. That's fine. You might have hands that you check raise or you might have some hands that you check call. But knowing what you want to do in each of those situations would put you in a better spot to continue the hand continue through your story through the turn and through the river. It's not easy work. Don't get me wrong. It takes a lot of time. No, it's not easy work, but it really depends on how far you want to go in this game, right? If you want to make money in this game, you'll put the work in. You know, the days of sea betting the flop and making a living are over. <laughs> you know, the, those days are long gone. We need to take and put the work in if we want to make money. It's just that simple. And if you don't want to make money, that's fine. If it's just a social event, that's fine. But if you're listening to this podcast, we'd like to think that you want to make money. I have one more tool I can add, and that is taking notes on players. You don't have to do this in real time because it looks kind of weird if you bring out your pen and paper and scribble some notes. You could do it on your phone, and it just looks like you're texting someone. But if you're in a poker room where you typically play with the same people, you probably want to understand them a little bit better. Because as you observe them and understand how they play, you could find... To go back to Dell's analogy about shiny and tarnished armor, you can find those chinks in their armor and you can see where they can be exploitable. You could find out their point of view, their perspective, another part of the story model, and you might be able to construct your deviation ranges a little bit better because you have a better understanding of who those players are. And by the way, Joseph Campbell wrote the book about the archetypical hero using Star Wars and George Lucas as a framework. <laughs> I and finally... So it came to me. I read the book. I watched the miniseries. It's a fantastic read. All right. So I'm so glad you, you remembered that before this was all over so you didn't have to go back and edit it in. <laughs> well, I'm going to edit it in so it doesn't sound so weird. Oh, what? The part where you're stumbling? Heaven forbid everybody knows that BJ is human and makes mistakes. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, any anything else? Yeah. Before we sign off, I want to say that I have gut. Uh, BJ and mine's The Blind Stealing the Blinds YouTube channel up. There is nothing on it at the moment, but I 
suspect that we'll start having more stuff on that before the week is out. The point of that channel is uh, while BJ and I don't discuss strategy here very much, we usually stick to the theory of it. Um, this is going to be a place where BJ and I are going to be able to do videos sometimes together, sometimes separately. And uh, we will probably be doing some hand breakdowns there. We probably will be doing some strategy and theory videos there. And uh, what will I'm just going to be honest. What will happen is uh, one of us will have a whim to do something and we'll do it. You can look for it, uh, YouTube, Blind Stealing the Blinds. And uh, we're looking forward to putting content on there for you. Excellent. Thanks, Dell. Appreciate the time. Thank you. It's been great again. It's always great. And until next week, this is the Blind Stealing the Blinds. It's a web board, and they just bet into us. What do we want to do with our range on this board? I got aces. I want to bet. All right, calm down. Think this through. Based on our pre-flop action, what do we think they have? I got aces. I want to bet. Listen, you, you got to play your range on aces. Aces.